Turn in your copy of Scripture to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 10, 11, and 12. We're examining what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus and what it means to be a faithful father. And as we look at this passage together, it's my prayer that we would see the quality as well as the content of our lives that bring glory to God and bring a legacy of thriving faith in Jesus Christ for our families. Uh, while you're turning there, just encourage you to remember that uh, every time we gather together, we give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. It is not collecting dues for an organization, nor is it asking for a charitable gift for your tax write-off, but rather giving our tithes and offerings is an act of our worship to the Lord. It is a declaration of our dependence upon God, our devotion to God, and our dependence upon God. So you be sure and be faithful and obedient in giving your tithes and offerings to the Lord. You can give them in the offering boxes as you leave. Uh, use the mobile app. Uh, you can uh, uh, do any of those things. But uh, let's be found faithful in our stewardship as you have been. Uh, one of the statistics, uh, and Father's Day, you've got to throw some statistics out because we're talking about fathers, and statistics is what we live on. Uh, a Harvard, Harvard sociologist, and several studies since then, in 1950, there was a husband-wife team with the last name Gluck uh, who did a study on juvenile delinquency, and as they studied juvenile delinquency, they discovered that the primary uh, number one factor in helping the children to uh, keep away from delinquency is a firm, loving, uh, consistent father in the home. Now, you might say that doesn't sound right. Well, it is right. You look at studies that have taken place from in uh, our modern era from 1930s to a recent dissertation at Harvard uh, University in the history department um, in 2020, there is a correlation, a, a tight link between uh, the thriving of children and the leadership of the father in the home. Uh, that's not anecdotal, that's research. All right. Another researcher by the name of Vern Bingston studied a, for 35 years a longitudinal study. That's what they, it's where you do it, start here and you go for years beyond that. For 35 years, studied the correlation or the linkage between uh, the faith of a father or a parent and the faith of a child. We look today at our culture, and boy, we, especially those that I'm looking at today, we can complain all day long and all night long about the culture in which we live. But what we discover, what we discover is that children with a close relationship with their father is 68% more likely to take hold of their father's faith 
and practice it. The good news is that if a father is practicing faith in Jesus Christ in a consistent way that is a reflection of God's Word, not in a casual or cultural kind of way that's a reflection of so much of our society, but if a dad is consistent and faithful in following after Jesus and if he is close-knitted with his children, then his children are 68% more likely to adopt the faith and the kind of faith that they've seen their father practice. That's not Bible, that's just statistics. But here's the concern. Here's the concern in our church and in every church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that fathers are following after Jesus in word but not in deed. And so they're raising their children to follow Jesus in word but not in deed. We have fathers who are practicing a good look on a Sunday morning But the quality of their relationship with Jesus is so anemic Monday through Saturday that their children adopt the same pattern. Or we have fathers who are so fervent in their faith that they neglect their children. And their children determine they don't want to have anything to do with that. Fathers who are so fervent in their faith, but they're disconnected from the hearts of their children. And their children determine, man, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, I'd just rather not. So we can complain and moan about the culture in which we live, but please, friends, let's understand that it begins right here in our heart. As followers of Jesus Christ, what is the quality of our faith? What are we passing on to our children? Well, those are statistics. Let me read some scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul is writing and he's talking about the quality of his faith. And he says, you are witnesses and God also is witness how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his own glory. What's true for fathers is true for followers of Jesus. As Spurgeon said, a father's holy life is a rich legacy for his children. The apostle Paul is stating very clearly that how we live as followers of Jesus and as fathers who are followers of Jesus is what delivers a legacy to our children. What kind of legacy 
Are we leading them? In this passage, I want us to think and perhaps allow the Spirit of God to invade the space of our soul this morning and ask us the question, what is the quality of my faith? What is the faith that I'm passing on to my children? Is it faithful to God and to His Word? Is it fervent in a passion for them, our children? Or is it something less than that? By the way, it doesn't have to be our children. It's the people we work with. It's the people we go to school with. It's the people we play our sports with. Whomever we're around are evaluating the quality as well as the content of our faith. On top of that, as Paul writes in verse 10, God is bearing witness as well. God knows the quality and the content of our faith. And so as we look at these markers of a faithful follower of Jesus and a faithful father who is a follower of Jesus, let's allow the Spirit of God to pinpoint those places where we are doing well. Pinpoint those places where we are falling short so that today we can begin a new beginning so that we have a better ending. What is the quality and the content of our faith? If we're going to be faithful as followers of Jesus and as followers of, uh, as fathers who are followers of Jesus, the first point is we must live consistently. Live consistently. In the sight of our family, in the sight of our children, in the sight of our spouses, in the sight of our work, uh, co-workers, our classmates, our neighbors, our friends. We must live consistently. Paul wrote in verse 10, see how devoutly, justly, blamelessly we behaved. Christ-honoring integrity must show up in our lives. When we set our hearts on living faithfully before God and others, then we live a life that is devout. A life that is pleasing to God. Not uh, devout doesn't mean you're overtly religious. In other words, it doesn't mean that you're just a church-going person. It means that you're living your life in a way that is pleasing to God. One of the things I've tried to pass on to my children and pass on to uh, this family of believers is my goal supremely every day is... I'm going to make God smile. This is devout. That's what it means to be devout. As a follower of Jesus, are you living every day to make God smile? Not only are we to be devout, we're supposed to be just. And this points to our relationship with others, that we're living in a way that is proper toward others, proper in the sight of God, proper in the sight 
of our family and friends, we're treating them and behaving in a way that is just in the sight of God. Uh, that means that we're going to be loving. It means that we're going to be compassionate. It means that we're going to be caring. It means that we're going to be truth-telling. It means that we're going to be consistent with the character of Jesus Christ in how we treat others. We're devout, we're just, and he adds this phrase that I had to research on because I know I don't match this phrase, blameless. Guys, I'm an imperfect dad and I'm an imperfect follower of Jesus. But blameless here doesn't mean perfect. Blameless here means that when the day comes and I stand before God and he holds me to account the life that I've lived, whether it's consistent with Jesus and the character of Jesus, then he is going to hold me faultless. Now, what does that mean? I believe that blameless doesn't mean perfect because none of us are. But blameless means that when I fall short, I'm the first to repent. I'm the first to say, I'm sorry. Look, our children need to see, dads, if I can talk to you for a second, our children need to see their dads as the preeminent repenter in the home. When we blow it, we need to own it. When we fail them, we need to say we're sorry. We need to repent before God and before our family and friends. We need to be the chief repenters on the, in the home because our children are watching our consistency. They're not looking for perfection. They're just looking for consistent. Faithful followers of Jesus and fathers who are followers of Jesus live their lives to please God, to be proper in their conduct toward others, and to be blameless chief repenters when we blow it. We need to live consistently. Secondly, we need to speak life-giving words. Look at verse 11. Paul writes, as you know how we exhorted, comforted, charged every one of you as a father does his own children. To exhort is me, means that you're going to point them in the right direction and, 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 and uh, 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 help them walk in that right direction. To comfort means that you're going to come alongside them with compassion and help them move in the right direction. Uh, to charge means that you're going to say, look, you didn't hardly do it here. Let's get back in line and let's set our face forward toward God. I'm thankful that my dad lived his life and lives his life in such a way that what he taught me is what he lived. I'm thankful that when he said, Eric, what you say and what you do need to match up. 
I'm thankful that he said, what you say you believe needs to be reflected in how you behave. He gave me those truths and they spurred me on, not merely because he said them, but because he lived them. Friends, as followers of Jesus and followers who are followers of Jesus, we need to look to our friends and our co-workers and our classmates and our neighbors and our family and our children, and we need to speak life-giving words, life-giving words that help us stay on track, that spur us on to be on track and correct us when we get off track, life-giving words that point us preeminently to Jesus Christ, life-giving words that are filled with love. I called my dad today, and when I talk to him, he'll say to me what he always says to me, Eric, I'm so proud of you. Those aren't just words. He means them. Even when I've blown it, my dad has had his arms open wide to welcome me into his embrace and say, oh, son, I forgive you. I love you. Let's move on together for God's glory. I pray that I've been that kind of dad to my daughters. I pray that I'm that kind of model for my granddaughters. I pray that I would speak life-giving words. The third thing, not only do we live consistently, not only do we live life-giving words, we pursue great goals. As dads who are followers of Jesus and as followers of Jesus, we have one preeminent goal in mind when it comes to our relationships. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Faithful followers of Jesus, faithful fathers who are followers of Jesus have this Christ-honoring goal that those around us, we would do everything we can Be consistent, speak life-giving words so that our children, our neighbors, our friends, our classmates, our co-workers would live a life worthy of the living God, that we would share the good news of God's rescuing love with them, that they might know Christ and be brought into God's family through faith in Christ, that we would do all that we can to speak and to live in such a way that those who are around us would be soaked up in the example that we're giving and desire to live the life that we're pursuing, which is to please God, to bring him glory and honor. So if you're a sailor on a ship, And all your buddies are 
behaving in a particular way. As a sailor on a ship, you've got one primary goal in your relationship with your buddies, and that's not just to get along. It is to point them to God. By how you live and what you say, to point them to God. To point them in a direction that they would walk worthy of the living God. So dads, let me ask you. Are you living consistently? Are you speaking life-giving words? Are you pursuing these great goals in your relationships? When you wake up in the morning, the goal is not to keep the kids off the couch, but rather the goal is to point your children in a direction where they fall in love with Jesus more and more each day. That means you've got to talk to them truthfully but lovingly. It means that you've got to live consistently in allegiance to the living God, knowing that he's watching and bearing witness. You might say, well, my goodness, that's, that's a lot. Well, it may be. But Jesus Christ himself has made us fit for his own family through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And he's brought us into his family when we place our faith in him so that he becomes the foundation of how you and I live today. Jesus dying on a cross and being raised from the dead isn't merely to save us from hell, but it's, set the, it's to set the trajectory of our daily lives so that when we depend upon him, we can truly live consistently, speak life-giving words, and pursue great goals with our family and friends. And Jesus makes us fit for his family. Not through the works that we have done, but through his own sacrifice and drawing us into a relationship with God. Friends, if you know Jesus, you have all the resources you need. As we read in Galatians chapter 4, you have all the resources you need to live faithfully in God's family. So as we close our time together, I want to challenge you as a follower of Jesus Christ to celebrate communion with this in mind. I take the bread and I take the cup that will be passed. And the question is, am I living worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus has made? Am I living worthy of his body broken for me and his blood shed for me? And where I'm falling short, where I'm blowing it, I'm owning it. Oh God, before I take this bread, before I take this cup, just know 
that today I make a new beginning. I make a new beginning in your sight as my witness and in the sight of family and friends as witness that I will be consistent. I will live my life to please you. I will live my life in a way that is proper toward those around me. I will change by your grace the words that I say so that they're not destructive words but life-giving words. They're not tearing down words but they're building up words. Words pointing others to you. Lord, before I take this bread and before I take this cup, I pray that you would reorient the way I look at my relationships, all of them, so that I might see that there is one grand goal in each and every relationship to help those around me walk worthy of you. Communion is a remembrance, but it's also a dedication of ourselves to live worthy of the gospel that has saved us. few verses. Galatians chapter 4 again, verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption into God's family as sons and daughters. God has made a way for us to be fit for his family through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise. At that time you had no hope because you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus makes us fit for God's family. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. We celebrate the foundation of a faithful life when we celebrate communion together. Communion is a meal that Jesus gave to us to remember, reflect, and to celebrate that he died on a cross for my sin as payment price, as consequence for my sin so that I might be forgiven and brought into God's family. In a moment, I'm going to invite you who are followers of Jesus Christ and who are ready to commit yourself to faithfulness. I'm going to invite you to come and take the bread and the cup. And you can gather down here 
and reflect. Or you can go back to your seat and reflect. You can come as family and pray together. But before we take the bread and the cup, I want to lead us through that time. We're not going to have any music playing. We are going to have scriptures that are going to be rolling on the screens to help us set our focus upon Jesus and what he's done for us so that we might live in a manner that's worthy him. So now, Father in heaven, as we gather in your name, as we prepare to take communion together, I pray that you would do your great work among us, that you would encourage us and strengthen us so that what we profess would be how we behave, that we would be faithful as followers of Jesus and that we would be faithful fathers to you who has called us into your own family. Now, be glorified among your people as we celebrate communion together. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you, as our deacons sit, would you read these scripture passages with me, beginning with Isaiah 53? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the payment price for our sins. Today, as we celebrate communion, let us cast our thoughts upon Jesus who brings us into the embrace of the perfect Father, God himself. Today, if you have been rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus, I invite you to celebrate and commit yourself by partaking in communion together. The scripture says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he passed it. He took the bread and he broke it. 
here we have our communion contraption, I call it. There's one side with a little wafer. If you would take this peel back portion and take that off and plop that wafer into your hand. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Take eat. Scripture says that after he passed the bread, broke the bread and passed it, he took the cup and he passed it. So now, turn the communion over and gently, carefully, peel back the portion that covers the juice. Jesus said, this is the blood of the covenant. My blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. As Scripture says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he returns. O oh, Father in heaven, may you burn in our hearts the truth of your word and the love that you've displayed by sending Jesus as sacrifice for our sin. May we live up to the salvation that we've received. May we be consistent. May we speak life-giving words. May we pursue this great goal in all our relationships. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.